got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, baby, when I turn it on. All through my city, all through my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we're in our zone. So I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. Feel that hot pot in my body when it drops. I can't take my eyes above it. Moving so phenomenally. Move my life the way we rock it. Well, good morning and welcome to Waypoint. We hope you are enjoying this beautiful summer uh, morning. 
It's been an incredible weekend, and we're glad that you're here worshiping with us, whether you're in the building, whether you're online. We're just happy that you're here. My name is Nick Ramundo. Um, I have a few announcements for you. The first one is that every July, normally the first week, we always do mission trips. However, due to the situation we're in, some of the trips had to be canceled. One of them did not get canceled and really needs our help, and it's War West Virginia. We already have a group of people that are signed up to attend that. It will be the first week of July, but it's not too late. If you want to sign up, there's going to be a few small construction projects, a roofing project, and most importantly, some relationship building that will be going on. So go over to Planning Center, sign up, and somebody will be in contact with you shortly if that's something that you're interested in. Also, this week, the Women's Build for Habitat for Humanity is going on. If you are a lady and you want to participate on June 19th, we would love, I'm sorry, July 19th, we would love for you to sign up. It was originally scheduled in June due to the weather. It got pushed back. And now we would, uh, no, love to have you on June 19th. Guys, there is a men's golf outing coming up on July 25th. This is a great opportunity for you to invite other men that you know of or people that you know of that you would like to join your team or for you to sign up on your own and for us to get together and uh, have a little bit of a golf scramble. It's a lot of fun. We've done it for a few years now. We're going to kick it off our second year at Black Squirrel. And if you would like to participate, mark it in your calendar. You're going to see it come up in Planning Center where you can register yourself or a team or whoever you want to be with. Um, we are excited to have that opportunity Lastly, we are so thankful that you're here this morning. If you're in the building or if you're attending online, um, this band has practiced and prepared their hearts really well. Blair has prepared his heart, and we're just excited to see where the Holy Spirit leads us this morning. So if you would, please stand up, and we're going to get started with worship.
Good to be with you guys here this Sunday morning. We are so pumped. We have so much stuff planned for you. But as of right now, please turn around, give a good wave, say hello to somebody, and then go ahead and take a seat. This morning the sun was gone Turn on some music to start my day I lost myself in a familiar song I wonder on as clear as the sun in the sun. 
think we needed that bumper after that, right? That was crazy. Now, you got to understand where that song came from. I didn't pick, I would have picked that song. That was a great choice. But we put out a survey for you guys. You picked some songs and then you voted on it. And that was one of the songs that you said if you were out driving on a beautiful sunny day, windows down, breezes in your face, and that song comes on, you would reach over and crank it and get lost in the moment. I mean, it was kind of in that song where you, um, you get lost in the moment of what was happening, which is the whole premise of this whole series that we're doing. Because I think there's some other songs that you could get lost in the moment with too. And so we've taken you to the book of Psalms and we've been looking at those, trying to find a way for those to inspire you. There's all kinds of stuff throughout the book of Psalms 
that will engage your heart. And I think if you allowed yourself to start reading in there this summer, maybe you read one psalm and you read it um, every day for that week, or you read a different psalm every day, I think there's going to be an opportunity for you to have a moment with God where you get lost. You get lost in the truth of what's being communicated there, and you see something that moves your life in a different way. Uh, I, I know this can happen. I, many of you know this. I grew up on a Christian youth camp, which means I was exposed to a lot of teaching. On Sunday, I heard two, two uh, different sessions taught, and on Monday through Friday, I heard one. And part of that was that at times they would come to us and they would challenge us with some things. And I remember one summer, they challenged us to read through the book of Psalms, and I decided to take the challenge. And I came across the psalm during that time in my life where one of them just resonated with me. Like it was what I needed right then in the moment, and it stuck with me. It's one of those um, kind of sections of Scripture. People ask me, Blair, what's your favorite section of Scripture? I don't have one, uh, but this one's close uh, because it met me in a moment where I really needed it. And so today... I want to take you back to that. And what I'm going to, um, I think is interesting, is that I had a view of it when I was a young man, and my view of the same section of Scripture has changed as I've gotten older. But I think there's value in looking at both of those. And so I want to kind of bring you to this section of Scripture and do that with you. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a cell phone app, and you want to pull up Psalm chapter 15, you can do that. It's really short. It has a heading. Many of the psalms do. This one says, a psalm of David. This is the third psalm that we're going to look at that David wrote. And uh, it doesn't give us any more information than that. A lot of people have looked at this psalm and said, we think this psalm was written when David was able to get the Ark of the Covenant and return it to the tabernacle. And you're going to see why they said that as we get into it. But it's a guess. I don't know what motivated him to write this. I was just really grateful that he did. So I want to take you there, and we'll get into it, and we're going to start in verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? It starts with Lord. It is that Yahweh, that word that they would never say out loud. I don't know how they sang it. They must have had some sort of system in place where everybody knew that that's what it meant. It was God's proper name, the name that you had a sense of devotion for when you said, but would never say so he starts there, but he quickly moves into two questions. Who may dwell in your sacred tent? At this time in Israel, the temple had not been built. Solomon would do that. This is still under David's reign. And so the temple, um, um, the tabernacle was central to the life of Israel. It would have actually been in the middle of the community. And it was made to be mobile. They could pick it up and move it wherever, but at this time, it would, if there was no reason for it to be moved. It was there. there. There's enough instructions, there's enough clarity in the scriptures that you can understand how to rebuild this thing, and people have. I want to show you a picture of this. They reconstructed this in um, Israel from all the instructions that are in the scriptures. They, they let people come and visit this. So it doesn't seem big. The temple would obviously be a much bigger, have lots of different components to it, but this is what it would have looked like. And inside um, this tended area, there would have been different sections too. Let's go ahead and bring that up. There would have been the showbread over there. There would have been all of these different things. And then you can see the curtain that would have been there. And on the back side of the curtain is where they would have parked the Ark of the Covenant. This is where 
God said he would come and rest with his presence. Like he would be fully there, holding none of his glory back. And they called this room the Holy of Holies. This was not a room that you just walked into lightly. In fact, you would do all kinds of preparation in your heart and in your soul before you would walk in that room. Because if you went in there unprepared, things could go wrong. If, if you claimed that you were in a good place with God, but you were hiding stuff in your heart, in the unguarded presence of God, you would be dealt with. They actually had a system that they had to work out. They would tie a rope around your waist. And if you went into that room and you died because maybe you touched the altar or you were flipping or there was something wrong with your heart and you could not stand in the presence of God and you fell over dead, they knew they couldn't send anybody else into the room, so they would drag you out. This is the sacred tent that David wants to go to which seems kind of risky. Like, what are you asking to do? You're trying to figure out what it would take for you, David, to stand in God's presence. But it's more than that. There's a progression that's found here in the scripture. He goes, I want to know. It says, dwell in your sacred tent and who may live in your holy mountain. The Hebrew says, I want to know how I can abide with you and dwell with you. This is really good translation. It's, it's got it right. I want to know how I can hang out with you for a season in your presence. More than that, what I want to end up figuring out is how I can live permanently with you. I don't want to just visit this room and leave. I want to stay. I, I got to tell you, when I was a young man and I read that, uh, my heart leaped a little bit. Because I grew up in a time where I had lots of people telling me what it took to make it into God's presence. And, um, and it was any, it could be you have to believe these certain things. You have to follow this certain way. You have to have this stand on this topic. You have to dress a certain way. You have to look a certain way. I'm telling you, the voices were overwhelming and it was confusing because they didn't agree. And what was even more confusing is they all spoke with a level of confidence that they knew what they were talking about. And I found myself wondering, what does it take for me to honor God? Because there is so much noise, there is so much interference, I'm not sure if I can cut through it and figure out what exactly I'm supposed to do to connect with you, God. And I read this, and I got excited because I thought maybe there was a chance that David would answer his own questions. Like if you, if you have that desire too, because what I see when he writes that question are questions of passion, questions of devotion. How can I make this happen? And so I got excited when I read that. Here's, here's the reality, at least the way I see it. Times change. Times have really changed from when I was younger till now. And as much as times change, some, some things just stay the same. I mean, if I, if I were to look around right now, I would say we now live in a culture where more people share more opinions than ever before and have the means to do so. People are sharing stuff they have no business sharing. But they can put it all out there. And you know what? They say it with such confidence about how you should live, how you should think, how you should be. 
And we're caught in that same kind of interference where if you're wondering what it takes to honor God with your life, and you're listening to the cacophony of voices that are coming at you, you could be confused too. And so this morning, David, I think, is going to help us. He's going to say some stuff that cuts through all of that and starts to help us what it would take if the desire of our heart was to abide with God and not just abide, but live with him permanently. So he gets into it. Verse 2, I was excited. What are you going to tell me? He says, the one who wants to dwell, the one who wants to live, that one, that one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. And I read that, and I was like, oh, that is not good news. Right? How many of you, when you read that, the word blameless, the word that comes to your mind for what that means is perfect? There's a group in here who, when you think that, you're like, yes, like you pursue perfection with your whole life because you do it thinking that it's possible to actually be perfect. And so you still haven't figured out that that's not going to work out for you, and so you're still going down that path of being a perfectionist. But for the rest of us who figured out that this is going to be a challenge, if, if this is about perfection, we're in trouble. But, but it's not. Uh, it's a different word, but it's related from the same root. In the book of Job, God describes Job as blameless. And we know reading the book of Job, he was not perfect. So it would, be, it would work if you understood it this way. Job had integrity. He had consistency of character. Like over a period of time, he kept doing what was right more often than not. He kept facing the truth that was in his heart, and he would live out of that. If I, if I were to try to put my finger on what gives me the most difficulty when I read this verse, it's that last section. Because my experience has been, when stuff goes wrong in my heart, I don't tend to face it. I tend to avoid it. Like if there's conflict there, I'd rather, I'd rather not step in and have a conversation with God about it. I'd rather it go away. If I'm feeling jealous towards something or someone, I know that's not good, so I just deny that it's there. Or if I feel superior towards another person, that sounds arrogant. You can't say that. You can't have this conversation. So you just ignore it, even though you still feel that way inside. And we have this collection of stuff that happens in our heart that's not good. It's why the scriptures say, be careful with your heart. It's deceptive. It will mess with you. You will convince yourself what's there isn't. And what should be there is. Because that's what we want to believe. But somebody in David's position, he got this right. He was like, no, you have to find a way to face what's going on in your heart and live out of that. And he just kind of nails this. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've discovered that it's easier for me to settle when my heart is unsettled than to deal with it. I'll just settle with avoidance. I, I'll just settle with tamping it down. It'll go away. I'll just ignore it. And if I want, if I want to be in God's presence, if I want to be with him permanently, 
engaged, connected with him, then I've got to find a way to have the kind of character that deals with my heart and does the right thing. Can I just tell you, if your heart's off, the chances that you're going to do the right thing consistently is about nil. It'll always be off just a little bit. Something will be wrong. So he starts with your heart. And I read that and I was like, man, that is a high bar. Is there anything else in here that's a little easier to do? So I read verse 3. Whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others. Oh my word, no, that's not easier, right? I don't know if you notice this, but this happens in the scriptures a lot. There's a pattern that's repeated right here. Um, he starts with your heart and responding towards God with integrity. And then the next thing he says is it matters how you treat your neighbor, even as far as how you speak. And so you see this pattern of love God, love others. And it's found right here in this psalm. And he says, one of the things that I'm going to require of you is to do right by the people that you're in community with, and that includes the words that come out of your mouth. Which, look, do a survey. Just go back one week. Did everything that you say, was it helpful for other people who were around you? What did you whisper to somebody else about somebody else? What did you imply when you said what you said? What were you doing with your words that communicated to that other person that they were really valuable instead of what you said? See, I can't prove this. I've seen no study on this. I'm just telling you from observation. If I were to pick a problem that messes up relationships faster than any other, it would be a wagging tongue. Where you avoid the the advice your mom gives you, if you don't have anything to say, don't say anything at all. And instead, you say everything. You know why this is hard? This is hard to manage your tongue? At least this is my opinion. People are annoying. I mean, you work with them for a little while, and that's fine, but you work with them for a long time, they start to get on your nerves. This, I don't know if this is true about you, but this can even happen in a marriage. Like, it's fun for a while, and then you're like, you're irritating me right now. And instead of finding kind words to say, you give them the baggage, and things get going. And because we don't mind our words, things cause problems. There are so many times everything could have been resolved in my relationship with my wife. Like, things had come to an end. This could, it was going to be resolved. Everything was going to go well, except I had to get the last word. And when I did, we discovered that things weren't resolved anymore, right? And it would go on. If I would have just kept my mouth closed. But this is hard. People were within your earshot, and they share some crazy idea or opinion. And what are you supposed to do with that? Just let it go? I don't think so. you got to set them right. And all of a sudden, it's off and going. And David says, listen... If you want to be in God's presence, if you want to live with him permanently, then how you treat each other matters as much as it matters what you say and how you say it to each other. He sets a pretty high bar. Verse 4 is 
is kind of an odd one, but I think it'll make sense. The whole verse is about different ways of displaying honor, or being honorable. And he says this in verse 4, Who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord? Um, it's, why is he saying this? Because it seems like what's happening in David's time also happens in our time. Things, again, have not changed that much. What happens is we cross our wires on who we think should be valued or not. And so we let people influence us that really have no business being the people that we look to. I don't understand why in this country that the people who sing or a person who acts in a movie or a person who um, owns a large company or plays in a sport automatically gets a status where we look up to that person and think that their opinion about stuff matters. And we, act, we actually gather in their opinions as we try to figure out what we're going to do. You know my favorite? I, I almost go nuts when this happens. I'll read an article, and halfway through it, they decide to interview somebody and get their comment, their take on it. And I'm like, who is this person? I've never heard of them. And then they describe them this way. So-and-so is an online influencer. All they did was get more likes than you and had more followers than you, and now you're supposed to listen to their opinion as if that has something of value to say. Not click, I'm, all, I'm done with that. Like, what, what the scriptures say here is that when you're choosing to influence, if you want to honor God, you'll find people who love him. You'll find people whose lives maybe aren't out there for everybody to look at who are faithfully doing the things that honor God in their own life. And that becomes your hero. That becomes the person that you go and talk to to get advice. That's the person you like, if I could figure out how they're doing it, I'd love to do that. The people who honor God are the people who get your attention, who get your value. And in David's day, it wasn't happening in our day it doesn't always happen either. So he's saying, now, if you want to honor me, look for those who honor me. Make them your primary influence. He's not done talking about honor. He says in the second half of verse 4, who keeps an oath without, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Now listen, this does not change their mind is tied back to an oath. It's not just changing their mind. If so, my wife is in a lot of trouble every morning. Right? I've tried to give her my technique. I, I've just said, just pick out a shirt, put it on, don't think about it again, and don't care what anybody thinks. It really works for me. I think it'll work for you. Right? And she'd be like, get out of here. And after four shirts, she's okay. Like, she doesn't love it, but she's okay. And she might change it after she eats breakfast. That could happen. That's fine. That's not a big deal. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you giving your word to do something and then backing out. Last week I was talking to a, um, a friend of mine who was driving around downtown Elkhart. He saw a piece of property for sale. He got out of his vehicle and he started negotiating and he made a handshake deal for this property. And uh, as he was walking back to his van, so somebody else pulled up, a couple pulled up and got out. And he could tell they were talking to this guy about the property. And after a while, they got in and drove away. And the guy came over to him and said, 
uh, that couple just offered me $6,000 more than you did for this building. So what do you think he said to him? He said, but I made a deal with you and I'm going to keep it. Because this man had evaluated what his integrity was worth and it wasn't worth $6,000 to him. And he would rather leave that on the table than to go back on his own word and scuttle that business deal. I'm telling you right now, that has become an odd thing in our world. We are driven by FOMO more than anything else. I could be missing out on what? I don't, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on this, so I hedge my bets or I'll commit to something, but I'll change my mind if something else comes up. I'll do something, and it doesn't matter. It could be the smallest commitment, but it's happening with big commitments too. Had another conversation last week where I sat across the table from somebody who was telling me about stuff that was unfolding in their lives, and it was a mess now because somebody had made a promise and then just felt like they didn't have to keep it anymore and walked away. And they were left with the mess. Dave says, listen, when it comes to honor, when you make a commitment, even if it's going to hurt you, you do it. You follow through. This is the kind of person who can be in my presence. This is the kind of person who dwells with me. Verse 5 is a, the front part of that is a real cultural thing. They had it set up where you could not charge each other interest. They had a lot of um, parameters on personal debt, and they wouldn't let it get out of hand. And so um, David's writing about you, you understand how this works, and you don't go against that. You find a way to protect each other. And so he has that written in there. And then at the end of verse 5, he says this. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. That's an incredible promise. I can tell you when I read that as a kid, it really gave me a sense of comfort because I felt like for the first time, somebody had cut through all the interference and had given me something to focus on that was worthwhile, so worthwhile that if I would do it, I wouldn't be shaken. I'd be firm. Stand my ground. See, I read this section of Scripture now as I'm older, and I think I have a different take on it. Because um, for me, this last week, I was shaken. Th there was something off. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went to a meeting, and uh, the stuff that was coming out in that meeting I um, found myself, like, talking in my head, not kindly about what was happening, and then I realized it wasn't all in my head. I was saying stuff out loud. Like, I was like, oh, what's happening here? And uh, I walked out of that uh, meeting, and, and I just said, God, what is going on? And he said, Blair, um, there's stuff going on in your heart, and you decided to press it down, but if you're not going to deal with it, we're going to have real problems. And uh, when I looked a little closer, I realized I was angry, man. I was, I was fuming angry. I was angry about all the changes this COVID stuff has forced on us. I was angry that um, it seems like we've lost the ability to have a conversation in our country. If you're in the middle ground, you're going to get killed. Can't, you just can't um, 
speak your opinion without being on an extreme or you're going to get ripped apart. I'm frustrated that we have racial tensions, but I don't see a good way to have conversations about that. Frustrated about all of that stuff. And I'm sitting in a meeting, fuming. And the stuff that I hadn't dealt with in my own heart was starting to boil out with the stuff that I said. And you want to know what? I considered being done. Like, I had made a commitment to do something, and I considered that this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home, I'm going to talk to Tracy, and I'm going to be done with this. And God said, isn't this fascinating? Like, you didn't mind what was happening in your heart. You didn't take care of this. And now all the other stuff that you're about to teach on this week is coming out of your life. Isn't that fascinating? I said, no, it's irritating. It's annoying. I, I, I took a whole day where I just, I couldn't work on this weekend anymore. I had some meetings. I went through those. But I just spent some time talking with God. Had a good conversation in the evening with some friends talk a little more with Tracy about it, process with God, and I realized if I didn't find a way to deal better with the, the anger that I was carrying, that it was going to misshape everything that I touched, and I was going to make bad decisions. So when I read this section of Scripture now, as an older person who feels like I get shaken at times and fail, what I read is a list of impossibilities, because this is, this is a section of Scripture that I've loved for a long period of time, valued it, and I still can't pull it off right now. It gave me comfort when I was younger. At least I know what to dig into, to chase after. But here's the thing. It also gives me comfort when I realize it's almost impossible to do, because it's why Jesus is central to who we are because in the midst of my failings, I still have a partner who holds on to me. And, and, and when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And I, I don't lose that relationship because of my failure. I mess it up. I mess up the connection. But Jesus is with me to fix that and to get back in there and to go again. And I have a faithful partner to right the ship. And even though the task is impossible, I can't do all of this. It's still worth the pursuit because out of passion and devotion, I want my life to be the kind of life that allows me to hang around God, to live with God, and I have that through Jesus. And now I do what I do out of love and passion because of that gift of his. You know what's just crazy? This idea that he would abide with us or live with us was something that God wanted with you too. And every time you turn around, he was getting closer and closer and closer to you. So close that he would send his own son to die for you. This is how committed he is to living with you. And the question is, can you turn that passion for him into a heart that chases after him? I don't know if you're in the same place that I am or not. There's a lot that's gone on in our culture in the last three months. And I don't know if when you look at your heart, your heart, if you see peace there. When I looked, it wasn't. And I can just tell you, don't settle for what's unsettled. Invite Jesus into that. Go to work. 
Be honest with him so that you can start addressing, facing your own heart, setting it right so that you can get back to honoring him by the way you choose to live. We all have that choice. I hope you won't settle for what's unsettled in you. Can I pray with you? God, really grateful for your faithfulness. Despite uh, my bad choices, my misguided heart at times, I have a faithful father. I have Jesus who walks with me, who's able to redirect and reshape my heart. And God, if it's true for me, it's true for everybody else in this room. And we're in need of you right now. We're not living in times of peace. There's not a lot of contentment. But there is you. So I ask you would help us to be honest about what's going on inside. I mean, maybe for some of us, we don't have a desire to dwell with you. We don't have a desire. And I ask that you would pick away at that and ask, what is it about us that's missing out on this passion to love you and have devotion for you. God, for others, it could be things that they've said they need to walk back. It could be a setting up the wrong person to honor. It could be going back on their word. Uh, God, you know what's happening in the hearts and souls of the people here. I ask that you would help us to face that with truth so that we can honor you. We want to be the kind of people that hang out with you, that live with you permanently. So I guess I just ask that you would give us the courage to do the work that allows that to be a reality in each of our lives. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And in Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand and worship together?
as I was preparing for worship this morning and singing through this song, I was reminded of my trip to Haiti the first time that we met our little girl. And I went down there with my husband and my oldest son, and about a week into it, we all got really sick. And we kept trying to push through and kept trying to push through and prayed through it and did what we could. And we got to a point where we had to go to the hospital. And we were in that hospital for six hours. And we left. They gave us medicine. We go back. And my body starts reacting to the medication. And I can't function and I can't move. And my son's in the other room literally facing death and all I could do in that moment was lay in my bed and raise my hand and sing to God because he was the only thing in that moment that was going to pick us up and take us through whether it was our time to go or he was going to bring healing in that next hospital we went to Yes, I will. I will praise you in the lowest valley. I'll praise you through every storm. We'll glorify your name. And God's reminding me now as we face a daily storm in this world that we're living in of that moment where I chose to just lift him up. And I kid you not, I have never felt at more peace than I did lying in that bed and praising his name. He truly has overwhelming peace that he will pour over us in these moments of fear, of chaos, of unknown. In all that is unsettled, what will you choose? Let's just lift his name again one more time. In the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is happy all my days. Yes, I will. Yes, I will do. God, we understand that these are some dark times that we're living in. We understand that your presence could not be more needed as of right now in this world. Your touch, your love. We need to be overwhelmed by it right now. Flooded. 
And above all, if we could just have a reminder, a glimpse of hope that you're here, that you're listening to us. And to me, it feels like right now it's so easy to stand here and to worship, but why is it so hard later? And I pray for peace in that. I pray for your presence. I pray for everybody in this room, for our world, for our city, for our families. Bring peace, God. Love you, God. And all his people said, I'm sorry, I haven't done this in a long time, but all his people said, awesome. All right. We are so thankful that you joined us this morning. We hope that it is your prayer um, and our prayer. In fact, this week, one thing that I wanted to challenge myself with was that each night before I go to bed or before I get up, I just ask the Spirit to search my heart and pull out any um, mistruths, any actions that I did that day that were wrong, any words that I spoke, any attitudes of my heart that just aren't in line with God, and to, to make those right with whomever I may need to, whether it's with Jesus, whether it's with somebody else. But I just hope that as we continue to adjust course towards Christ, we, uh, we go to Him and we ask the Spirit to search our heart each night and adjust our attitudes, the words that we use, how we treat each other. We are so thankful that you joined us this morning. If you're here in the in-person service, we're going to open the doors up, and that's how you'll exit. However, it's important to know we are a community, and we want to spend time together. So do not feel like you have to rush out of here. You can spend some time talking with one another, building relationships. We know it may be a been a while since you've seen one another. So spend some time talking, catching up, and we love you. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend.